Thank you. You may be seated. Morning, everybody. Good to see you here. Thank you so much for being here with us, and uh, we're so very glad to have you among us this morning. Thank you for joining us online. We're very glad to have those of us who are with us online. We want you to know we uh, value you. We're always here for you, and uh, we are uh, so very grateful to have the, vo the visitors that we have. We appreciate your presence so very much. We want you to know you're always welcome. And we invite you back at any opportunity. And if you have questions, ever have questions about uh, this congregation, about the Churches of Christ at all, we want you to know that that's okay to ask questions. We encourage that and we're always available to you. How would you explain to somebody how to climb stairs? How would you explain that to somebody? If you think about the what the, the steps involved in climbing steps of stairs. You might say something like, well, you pick up one foot, raise it up a little bit, set it on the step in front of you, and then put weight on it, and then pick up your other foot, lift it up a little higher and further, and place it on the next step up, and continue that until you get to the top, right? Well, that's how you would explain a climbing steps, but what do you notice about climbing stairs? What do you notice about your feet? Your feet only touch each step once, right? As you're starting from the bottom to the top. And so sometimes that illustration, when we talk about uh, the five steps of salvation, you hear that phrase, Maybe we're talking about how, to be, how do I become a Christian. And so oftentimes we use this phrase, the five steps to salvation. And we talk about the first step is hearing and believing, which we talked about last week. And today we're looking at repenting and confessing. The problem is, that's not a terrible illustration, but the problem is that it can, without intending to, leave us with the impression that you only hear once, you only believe once. You only repent once, you only confess once, and like a, a step on a staircase, you only touch it once. And in fact, maybe the only one you, uh, in reality, the only one you do once is baptism. But the others, I mean, shouldn't we be actively hearing the Word of God? Shouldn't we be actively believing and never stop believing? And shouldn't we be actively repenting continuously and continuously confessing? So, so that the staircase illustration isn't perfect, I understand why some might uh, use that illustration, but I think a better illustration that helps us maybe understand better is, is the idea of a process, because becoming a Christian is a process. And what we see in the New Testament is when people obey the gospel, when people become Christians, we see a process take place in their lives. And that's what we're trying to study is when you look at all of the New Testament and we ask ourselves, how did they become Christians in the New Testament? That's really the, the question to ask, not, not so much what are the five steps to salvation, but really when we look in the Bible, how did people in the New Testament after Jesus came, how did they become Christians? You know, the old saying is if we do like they did, we'll be as they were, right? If we'll just... If we'll just look at Scripture and do it the way they did it, 
then we'll be Christians like they were in the New Testament. And, and that's, that's our, our claim, that's our heritage in the Church of Christ, is we just want to be nothing but Christians. We don't want an extra name or word or anything else. We just want to be the kind of Christians you read about in the Bible. And so if we want to become Christians, if a person wants to become a Christian, then we want to look at what Scripture says on how to do that. And we see some different things through the book of Acts, through other teachings of Paul's and Peter, others, of how that happens. You know, sometimes we see an author refer to belief and baptism equals salvation. We might hear them talk about repentance and baptism equaling forgiveness. We might hear them say receiving the word and baptism uh, brings salvation, or belief and confession equals salvation. And so, In other words, we don't see every one of those every time we read a conversion story or every single time we hear conversion uh, talked about in the New Testament. And that's because a lot of that is assumed, and we'll mention some of that some of that later. A lot of it was assumed because it was written to pe- the letter was written to people who are already Christians, and they already understood some things. And and we so what we the the way we ought to approach it is what do we see people do if we take a composite look? What do we see people do to become a Christian? And that's how we come up with well, we see that first they hear the gospel, the message of Jesus. We talked about that last week, and and then they they believe that message that they hear. And then we notice that when they hear that, that they repent. There's a repentance that takes place. We're going to see what that is. And and then there's some confession, some kind of confessing that they do uh, after that. And, And then we see that people are baptized. And then sometimes you'll hear someone might say, and remain faithful. Well, we're going to we're going to add on on the last week uh, added to the church. We see that in the book of Acts. So we're going to look at that. But something I want to stress is that the gospel message is not what we refer to is, and I'm not saying that's wrong or bad, but the gospel message is not the five steps to salvation. The gospel message, what we're converted to, is not a series of steps, check these boxes, do these things. We're converted to Christ. That's what we see in the New Testament is that they said, I believe that message about him. And like we looked at Acts chapter 2 last week, what do I need to do because I believe that? And then they just simply did that, what they were told to do. And so that's, that's what we want. Remember the last words of Jesus to his disciples were, go and make disciples. And so that's what we want, is we want people to be followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, Christians. Not, not they, they check some boxes. So, so we're looking at the steps or the process involved in becoming a Christian, but I want to stress that it's about being a follower of Christ. That's what's most important. So a person can go through some steps and miss Jesus. Because they didn't realize that this was about being a follower of Christ and not just checking some boxes. So last week, as I said, we looked at hearing and believing. Today, we're going to look at repenting and confessing. Now, repent means to change your mind. 
or your purpose. It's to be sorry for your sins. And it's to, it's to, uh, uh, to say, you know what, I'm changing. I'm turning around. I'm turning from this direction to that direction. Now, if you think about it, what all does repentance involve in, in you as a person? Repentance involves your whole being. And that's what we see is repentance involves your mind, how you think, how you think about things, your beliefs. Repentance involves your emotions and your heart. It involves your lifestyle. It involves everything about you. Scriptural repentance that we see in the Bible is an entire life thing. Remember Jesus said, love the Lord your God, the greatest commandment, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, with your whole being, with your entirety. That's what that is. is repentance is to turn from this and to, from the world, from sin, and to God, to Christ. And it involves your whole being. Not, not just a mental ascent, mental agreement. Not just, okay, I'll do that, but an entire conviction and out of that a repentance, a turning. And, and so to repent means you're going to change. You're going to turn around from one way of thinking and living, and you're not going to do certain things anymore, and, and you're not going to live certain ways anymore. Repentance is turning your life from sin and to Christ. John and Jesus both, in fact, talked about repentance at the very beginning of their ministries. There in Matthew 3, 2 is where John, they said the same thing. John uh, said that in, in Matthew 3. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 4, they had the same message, repent. In other words, turn your life to Christ. Turn your life to God. And when Jesus had appeared to his disciples at the end of his ministry, all the way over in Luke chapter 24, he says to his, uh, he had appeared after his resurrection, he's about to ascend into heaven, Luke 24, 46 through 47, Luke, uh, Jesus says this, Luke records, to his disciples, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So Jesus taught repentance that it was essential, that this was, this was the message to turn to Christ. That's what we're talking about when we talk about repentance. So it was core to becoming a Christian, to being a follower of Christ. That's how important that message was. Now turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And in Luke 15 we see that Jesus taught these three parables. At first, he teaches the lost sheep uh, about the, the, the shepherd who loses one sheep out of all his herd. He loses one sheep. And then we see the woman who loses one coin that was so important to her. And after each of these parables in verses 7 and 10... Uh, Luke records in the parable, Jesus' parable that there was when the, the item was found, when the sheep was found, when the coin was found, it says that there is this, in the same way, there is this kind of joy in heaven over one sinner who does what? Repents. So the kind of joy that shepherd had when he found that lost sheep, the kind of joy that woman had when she found that, that precious lost coin, is, the, is he's illustrating the joy that the angels have, that God has, when one sinner repents, turns from the world and to Christ. And, and, and so then we see that also illustrated in that third parable of the parable of the lost son. 
And the, at the very end in Luke 15, 31, the father, he's talking to his other son, and he's saying, my son was dead. There was rejoicing there. And he said, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. And then the father was rejoicing, and he wanted the, the other son to rejoice with him. And that's, that, that, that illustration, uh, those parables help illustrate repentance because it, it shows us that you're lost outside of Christ. And repentance, and that's what they experienced in Acts chapter 2, we looked at last week, and that repentance is realizing that and realizing why I'm lost outside of Christ because of my sins. And it's because of Christ that I can be saved, that I can, that I can be found, and that's what the rejoicing, when the rejoicing happens, is when that lost person, that lost thing, is found, the owners, or in this case, God, rejoices because that person who's lost and is now found. But see, sin wrecks and ruins relationships. It, re it, it separates us from God. It, it ruins earthly relationships, but it ruins our relationship with God. And that's what we saw happen in the Garden of Eden. See, God, here's the thing they're saying about God. God is perfectly, completely, and absolutely perfectly holy. In every way, he is he is completely and absolutely holy. And because of that, sin cannot dwell near him. It cannot be in his presence. And even more than that, because he is God Almighty, sovereign God, and because he's perfectly holy, sin has to be punished. Sin has to be dealt with. There's a price to pay for sin. And we don't always think like that, and that's not always on our mind, and sometimes that's a little uncomfortable to hear. But that is part of the nature of God and sin in this fallen world. Uh, and so each parable uh, highlights this. Now, Doug talked about this in his class this morning, Isaiah 59 two where we see what sin does, it, it, it separates us. It, the Bible says your iniquities, that Hebrew word means sin, your sins have separated you, made, made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That word separation conveys the meaning of a, of a, 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 a curtain or a wall coming down between you and God. And that's exactly what sin does. It puts a wall. It puts a heavy, thick, huge curtain between you and God so that there is no contact and there is no relationship. There's nothing there. That's what it is to be lost and separated from God. How does that happen? Sin. Sin is what does that. So Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. See, here's the good news. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, the blood of Christ on the cross, to be received by faith. So sin causes us to fall short of that glory of God. In other words, to no longer be in a relationship with him. And sin must be punished, which is why there is an eternal hell. There, there, there's an eternity on either side, so to speak. And, and that's where sin sends us. Sin removes us from that presence of God. But 
verses 24 and also 25 really restate John 3, 16 and 17. That's what they are is a restatement of that because they show us the good news that for God so loved the world, what did he do? We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That redemption means that from that blood of Christ, the blood of Christ was used to buy you back. To God, to be in relationship with God. That's what that means. That it cost him his blood of a perfect sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice, one that lasts forever, Christ. His blood on the cross, because it was perfect, it propitiated or it satisfied the wrath of God towards sin for you. And that way the wrath of God was, doesn't have to be visited on you in eternal hell. It was visited on Christ on the cross. He took that, he took our sins on him on that tree, Paul writes in Colossians. And so that satisfies that wrath of God towards sin so that we can stand right with God. Does that make sense? And so because God loves us and doesn't want us to be lost, he did this. Now look at Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin, in other words, like you get a wage at your job, you're paid at your job. What you get paid, what you're due because of sin, what is owed you because of sin, is eternal death. And it's that simple. We don't have to like that. We could wish all day it was differently. We could say, well, that's not the way I would do it. But it doesn't matter because the reality is that sin... Uh, uh, sin, the wages of sin is death. But again, the good news Paul gives us, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift. We don't have to die on the cross. He freely gave his son to die on the cross for us. The free gift, and Paul also calls it the a grace of God, the grace of God that he gives us in Christ. So, I need to ask some questions then about myself and about sin and about repentance. See, I choose to repent of my sins and turn to Jesus when I hear and believe the good news about Jesus. That's why we kind of lay those out in steps, but it's a process. When I hear that good news, that I'm lost in sin, but I don't have to be, that Jesus paid the debt that, that he didn't know, that I did, that I couldn't pay. See, that's the thing, is there was nothing you could do to fix this. Jesus had to fix it on the cross for you. Why? Because he loved you. And so when I believe that message, then my attitude is when I'm convicted, like in Acts 2, they were pricked in their heart. They were cut to the heart. Then I say, what should I do? And Paul, uh, Peter and the rest of the apostles say, repent and be baptized. So I repent. In other words, I, I'm going to turn towards Christ from whatever was before. And my orientation, my life is all about Christ now. That's what repentance is. I'm going to change my, my mind, my attitude, my thinking, my lifestyle, whatever I need to change, my whole person to follow Christ. So to repent, I have to understand what sin is, though, right? I, I, need, to, I need to comprehend sin. So let's talk about that for a minute. As we said, God is perfectly, completely, absolutely holy in every single way. And so his moral nature is the standard of what is right. So anything that, is, that, that does not equal, that is in conflict with, that is contrary to his 
moral nature, his holiness, anything that conflicts with that, is contrary to that, is therefore unholy. And that's what sin is. It is something that is not in agreement with, consistent with, God's holiness. It falls short of that, to use Paul's phrase. And so that's what sin is. It's falling short of God's holiness. In fact, Jesus said, and, and, and I believe it was Peter repeated this, be perfect, be holy, in other words, therefore as your heavenly Father is holy. Well, guess what? I can't be. There's no way for me to be on my own except in Christ. And that's that free gift of God in Christ. So sin is anything that falls short of God's perfect moral nature. And you can't do anything about it. And that's why you need Christ. And that's what repentance is, is when you get that, when you're cut to the heart, then you turn your life over to him because of the salvation he gives. Look at Romans 5, 8 through 9. But God shows his love for us. Again, just here in the background, John 3, 16 and 17. You hear it restated. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, when, you were, when, you, when you're outside of Christ, you are an enemy of God because of sin. And the Bible talks about that. And, and, and so even though while we were enemies of the cross, enemies of God, lost in sin... Because of his love, Christ died for us while we were lost in sin. Verse uh, 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, meaning those in Christ, Paul's writing to uh, the Romans who are already Christians. Uh, since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. There we see again what it is that redeems us, his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That's that propitiation we're talking about. It's that the, the, the blood of Christ sets aside the wrath of God. and It was on Christ and no longer on us. And that's the good news about Jesus. And that's why repentance is a part of becoming a Christian. Because you have to turn your life around. Now, you might say, well, I'm growing up in the church. I, I, I hadn't really done anything wrong. And, and, and I grew up in the church too, so I understand that. Joyce did too, and, and many of you did. And so, so I understand that you're wondering, well, I'm growing up in the church. I mean, I don't get it. Aren't I already a Christian? I, I go to church. I, I've been in Bible class, and, 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 and I, I know a lot, and I've got a lot of information. I understand a lot. Aren't I already a Christian? That's a very good question, and we want to encourage you. If you have questions along the way, ask your parents, talk to me, talk to somebody about that because we want questions to come out of this, okay? We're not trying to, to twist anyone's arm to uh, get baptized. We're trying to help you see for yourself, and then you got to make that decision. That's between you and God. you got to make that decision. So uh, here's, here's another thing. If you're a child, if you're younger... You've been in Bible classes, I said, you've learned. You might wonder, do you, do, do you, are you ready already to get baptized? Well, see, you're, if you're wondering, am I already a Christian because I've grown up in the church and I'm, you know, whatever age, we're not, we'll get to baptism next week, but you're not a Christian until you've put on Christ in baptism. It doesn't mean you're an evil, horrible person. 
you're growing up in the church, and that's a that be thankful because that's a great place to be. You're you're in the right spot to hear the right things and to get all the to hear about the love of God and to have the fellowship of the church and to be in Bible class and to be among the youth group that that's uh, so awesome. And so you know, but you've got to follow through on all of those steps, so to speak, or the whole process. So you might be very close, but understand if you're a child, God understands that. Okay. And so the Bible doesn't give us some magical age at some point is the magical date when you're now responsible. That's something that you and your parents can talk about. Maybe you can talk with somebody else about that if you need to. But that's something your parents will understand, okay? And I've talked with some, some others about that and, and how when they knew. And I, you know what? I, I wasn't until I was about to start high school. When, when that just clicked for me. And that's the best way I can describe that for someone growing up in the churches is I had it all up here, but, but then it just clicked for me. It made sense, and I felt, I, you, know, you know what I say by felt? I mean, I sensed, I, I grasped that cut in the heart. That, that's what I'm trying to say. And so the, I under, you need to understand the weight of sin. You need to understand what sin is. If you're, thinking, if you're wondering, am I ready yet? Do you comprehend sin? Are you old enough to really understand what sin is and what that means for you? Are you old enough to discern right and wrong, to know the difference between right and wrong? Well, as you're getting older, you do. But then as you get a little bit older, you start understanding it in a deeper level when it comes to sin and separation from God and your ability to make right choices and to live for Christ. And you understand what that means. Does that make sense? So if you have questions about that, I want you to, I want you to talk to your parents, talk to Kinley, talk to uh, 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 somebody about that. You know, when I was in high school here in the youth group, the, our youth group would go down to Stephen F. Austin, and we would do a retreat with the Yellow House. And one year, I think we did that two years while I was here, one year I met a guy who was, had already graduated, had been a part of the Yellow House. Missy, I bet you know him. Remember Cruz Hernandez? And his nickname was Cruz the Mex Hernandez. And he was such a neat guy. I just was really drawn to him and Mark Engel. And uh, I remember talking to Cruz, and he told his story, I think, of how he became a Christian. Cruz, and he preaches now at the Hidden Valley Church of Christ in Houston. He's been preaching a long time. But Cruz had lived out in the world. He, He had lived far from God. And I remember him telling his story to us. And I remember thinking he was just such a cool guy. He just... He really appealed to me. I was drawn to him. And I remember talking to him saying, man, I, I, I wish I had a story like that. That's amazing. You know, you, when you tell people that, that that's amazing. You know, I, I, I grew up in the church. I mean, I went to Bible class and youth group. There's nothing exciting about that. I don't have some cool story. But you know what he said? He said, be thankful you grew up in the church. That's exactly where you needed to be. I'm so thankful that God pulled me out of the world. He said, Jake... You don't know. Had you been out in the world like me, you may not have been come you may not have come out of that if God tried to draw you out of that. Thankfully he did me, he was telling me. But they, that may not have been your story. You be thankful you grew up in the church where you didn't have to go through what I had to go through and deal with what I had to deal with and thank God I'm here today. And that made a real big impression on me. So Another thing is 
uh, I want you to think about is whether I had been living a wild life out in the world, far from God, or growing up in the church, I have still sinned. And when you get to the age where you begin to understand that and it cuts in your heart and you get that, then lost is lost. Whether you're living a wild life out there or you're in the church and you start to understand, I'm not in Christ. I haven't gone through the process we see in Scripture and I get it and I'm convicted. So lost is lost no matter where you are. And that's what we want to understand when it comes to repentance and then confessing. And it means an actual change in your life. So as we, as we start to wrap up, we see confession. And confession is simply when people proclaim, they confess, they, they, they say publicly and privately in their life that they believe Jesus is Lord and Savior, that they believe he is who he says he is, and they believe that the message of the gospel is right. In Mark, Matthew 16, 16, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, that's confession, and on that confession, on that rock of faith, I will build my church. So look, look at what the church is built on. The church is built on people confessing their faith in Christ. That's who Christians are. They confess publicly and privately their faith in Christ as Lord. And he said, on that faith, that rock, that confession... I will build my church. And then in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this is an example, and we're going to look at another one real quick, that, that not every single step is laid out here, right? But in, in Romans chapter 10, he already, taught, he already did Romans chapter 6, where he did a thorough study of baptism. So in Romans 10, he's saying, look... Look, when you confess Christ, that faith, that active faith, that leads you to salvation. You're confessing that Jesus is Lord, and we see belief there that he raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. Another example, 1 John 4, 14 through 15. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So becoming a God can't abide in you if you have not confessed that Jesus is Lord. And again, there's, a lot, there's, other, there's other parts in the process of becoming a Christian. So understand this about confession. The Bible does not advocate or teach secret, undercover uh, uh, discipleship. There is no such thing as some secret hidden, no one else knows about my faith in Christ. That is not faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is one that confesses, not only at the moment of before baptism like we do, where we confess our faith in Christ, but also in our daily life. That's why it's not like a step where you never touch it again, but in our daily life of how we live and in the words that we say and confessing in our faith in, in Christ, privately, uh, publicly, as we have opportunity. The Bible does not advocate secret discipleship. So finally, Matthew 10, 32 through 33, Jesus said, to, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. See, that's confession. 
But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. We can't live in secret. Our faith isn't supposed to be just something so private no one knows about it. Eventually, people around you need to know that you believe in Jesus, that that you're a Christian, that you're a Christ follower. Turning from your sins and turning to Jesus and confessing him is a part of the process of becoming a Christian. Turning your life to him and from whatever was behind you and turning to Christ, confessing him as Christ and Lord, confessing him every day, going back and asking for for forgiveness and repenting of your sins continually is something that a Christian can do, and that is something that we want you to understand. It's a part of the process of becoming a Christian. If we can help you this morning, if we can study with you, answer any questions for you, pray with you. Maybe you're, you've, you've been studying this and you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. We want you to know that this congregation is here for you. Don't, don't, don't just see these words in the Bible, the word of God, and not believe them. Study these for yourself. Study other scriptures. We can't exhaust it. But if there's a way we can serve you this morning or uh, it, whether you're online, let us know or here in person. We invite you to come forward and stand as we sing.